The Christmas Thieves Stave 6 Beyond the End of It The bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. I cannot tell what this version of me said to Captain Baltus to elicit such a markedly different response. Maybe every word was the same. Perhaps one was omitted that would have sent him away from this Christmas morning liberation. It could be that it was simply one event from his past that had not occurred, or which he had reacted to too differently. Either way, Ambrosius Baltus truly was a changed man. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, he repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, thank you, Jacobite, you poor, pitiful man. You really did look after my well-being in the end. He was capering on his rug now. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. A merry Christmas to everybody. A happy new year to all the world. <laughs> really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. A most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold, golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. You there, boy! Baltus called down to a young fellow in dark clothes, dejectedly dragging a broom handle through the snow. I ain't no boy, I'm a man. A man of the night, the man-child replied. I don't think that means what you think it means. A nearby horse seemed to say. What's today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day! I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. He returned to the open window and called the chap back. Boy had wandered most of the way off, thinking Baltus a loon. Do you know the polterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I do. An intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. He isn't. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey, the big one? Yarp is hanging there now. Go and buy it. Yarp? Is that some kind of gutter snipe slang? He means no. Well then, please believe me, my buck, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Yes, sir. The lad was off like a shot. Baltus dressed himself all in his best, which meant no armor and a magnificent red dress coat he had not worn in years, but was still bright with shining brass buttons. And at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. Only now their forms were as clear as the dazzling blue sky overhead. These were streets he had only ever strode down, or else passed through in the confines of a cab. Now he walked with a bounce and a sway, and strangely, 
devoid of a hundred pounds of Karenite plate armor, he really did feel as light as a feather. Down the snowy street, collecting yuletide offerings for the poor, Baltus spotted the same green-coated, mustachioed gentleman he had met the afternoon past, that now seemed so long ago. A tall, striking woman in a purple coat was just passing them and declining to donate. Milady, a woman of your beauty has no need for such decorations. The, uh, gentleman was saying... On this fine morning, only a fraction as lovely as you are, would you consider sharing with those less capable? No, I ruddy well wouldn't. The, uh, lady retorted with a haughty toss of her head. And my decorations are none of anybody's business. She stalked off, leaving them shrugging as Baltus approached humbly. Ah, the man who wishes to be left alone. The shorter one began, clearly ready for a battle of wits. Cool it, Rob. The larger one rumbled. My dear sirs, how do you do this fine morning? This took them both aback. He seemed authentic, which was disconcerting. Do forgive my rudeness yesterday. There are no excuses. Allow me to ask your pardon. And will you have the goodness to... At this, he whispered in the short gentleman's ear. The grey moustache twitched violently and nearly fell off. My dear sir, are you serious? What did he pledge? He said... Okay, now you really have got to be kidding me. And not one copper less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. As the gentleman unexpectedly embraced him, Baltus gasped a little, and the feeling of the pat on the back left him quite speechless. To his credit, though it was very much within his grasp, Robin did not lift Baltus's wallet, for this was a hug of genuine gratitude. In a gilded carriage passing by at that moment, the Princess Gwendolyn leaned out, breathing in the crisp, fresh morning air. Oh, look, Viola, she said to her Duarte companion and bodyguard. Captain Baltus is having a bit of a cuddle in the street. At this, Viola lurched forwards and stared in disbelief. That can't be him. I've never seen him without armor. There, look. The end of his black Mohican hair is poking out from the back of his winter hat. That's him, all right. Well, I never. We must ask him about what brought on this state of mind. Nervous breakdown. I don't know. He seemed happy. Plus, I could have sworn that fellow in the green coat winked at me as we went by. The door opened at Freda's house, and upon the stoop, his cheeks rosy from the cold, basking in the warmth that emanated forth from the house, and smelling the crackling fire blazing away in the living room already, stood Captain Baltus. Why, bless my soul, you came after all, cried Freda. I have two apologies to make, my niece. You need never apologize to me. No, these are worthy apologies, not platitudes, he maintained. First and foremost, I have been a fool, and a lonely one at that. I pushed away your kindness year after year, spurning the love of a family that was offered to me freely, time and again. But you fought and fought for me, and the worst of it is, is that it was I who was fighting you. So for that I apologize greatly, and I swear I shall make amends. Freda's jaw had dropped. Clarence, who had pulled up behind her, was equally gobsmacked. But the smaller apology is this. 
I know you are expecting guests. I know you are preparing your Christmas dinner. I should like to add to that with... And at this he gestured the poulterer, as well as the butcher, the baker, a furniture maker, a sweet shop owner, and a man who ran the general store, which sold plates and cutlery. All were lined up and down the street, bearing trolleys and wheelbarrows full of their wares. Additional tables and chairs were stacked and ready. The fellow with the broom handle stood shyly at the back, along with the gentleman in green, who had been invited as well. It was around this time that an omnibus pulled up, with the whole Cartwright family, minus one, sitting inside, and a thoroughly befuddled Ian in a cab of his own, which had just fetched him from the tower. You see, I have brought Christmas to you, Baltus continued. And Christmas and family are as firm associates as any who ever walked this earth together. The Cartwrights were disembarking and embracing Ian while watching Baltus with not undue nervousness. I have further explaining to do. I have plans. I have people to help in the new year. If there is room in your house for all of this, and you and your guests are happy to share, then we shall come inside. If not, if this is too much of an impertinence, we shall be in that pub across the street, the Fox and Bear. And you are welcome at our tables should you change your mind. And Freda laughed that merry, joyous laugh of hers until it quite <laughs> echoed around the street, catching the ears of those people poking their heads through doors and windows to see what all the commotion was. She was simply unable to take in this wild reversal, though it was a bewilderment she was glad of. What are you talking about, changing my mind? Come in off the street, all of you. Baltus embraced her and shook Clarence warmly by the hand before pulling him into a clinch as well. Then, as they led the procession into their little house to fill every corner with treats and food, Baltus turned to the Cartwrights. He stepped over, and they flinched collectively. This very response saddened his heart, where once it would have empowered him. The captain reached out and tentatively took Mara by her enormous green hands. My dear Mara, dear Ian, would you like to spend Christmas with my family? I can offer you a meal a little larger than you had planned, and perhaps some games if... if you would teach them to me. At this, M levered herself forward, propped herself up upon her crutch, and fixed Baltus with a serious expression. I know a ton of games, she said solemnly. At which Baltus burst out in that laugh of his, and mercifully drew the tensions into matching jubilance from the Cartwrights. As they went inside, Baltus was left alone in the street, glancing back into the house and hearing the bustle of merriment behind him. He was waiting. And finally, after forty minutes of standing in the cold, warming himself on his renewed flames, as well as a mug of steaming Christmas punch brought to him by Mara. The final cab arrived. Stepping down out of it, her expression perplexed, at the sight of this man dressed in such striking red, politely retrieved from a quiet day alone, stood Mrs. Emmeline Baltus. She was tall for a duart, had a regal air, auburn curls, and was dressed in a midnight blue overcoat. We must talk, you and I, said Baltus, somberly. And is today the day you choose? She asked, 
peering behind him at the revelry. And with that he had caught it, the tiny dancing glimmer of curiosity in her eye. I have been, he said, taking her gloved hand. A cold, tedious, perfunctory, and most of all, absent husband. His tone was as contrite as it had been with everybody else that day. The sense of potent responsibility felt similar to the duty he had always pursued, but better than that, deeper than that. Today is not the day to talk on these things, but it will be soon, I assure you. He cocked his head. In the meantime, may I offer you a little dinner? And Emmeline smiled. For the first time in nearly eight years that he had borne witness to, for she often smiled in the great majority of her life that she was out of his presence. Um, hmm. I think I could be persuaded. And I am curious as to what has brought this on. Are you quite all right? Oh, yes. For the first time in my life, I am all right. Emmeline accepted his hand. So... Tell me about this mind-altering cult you've fallen in with. She teased as they headed inside. The nag and I watched from across the street, quite invisible, drinking a little punch ourselves. Right, he's happy. Can I finally have my present now, please? The nag nagged. Yes, I think you've been a good enough boy this year. I pulled a brightly wrapped parcel from our cart and held it out to him. You open it. I, of course, obliged and revealed a beautiful red scarf, which I had been knitting on and off since February. Do you mean to tell me that I've been freezing my Christmas baubles off for three days in a row out here, and you could have given me a scarf at any time? Not at any time. Only when it was funny. Well, it's nicely crafted. I got you the usual. Book token? I know you well. You do. Baltus was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to little M, he was a second father. He became as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town or borough, in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him. But he let them laugh, and little heeded them. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. He had no further dealings with the spirits, but he no longer needed their guidance. Such was the strength of his newly beating heart, especially when used in conjunction with that shrewd, cunning mind that had been put to the task so long of capture and punishment that every hour of its fresh pursuits felt like a holiday. He was a key figure in the liberation of England which followed, and made friends he would have called enemies in every other eventuality. Most of all, he knew how to keep Christmas well. May that be truly said of all of us. And so, as little M observed, well, you know the rest.
You have been listening to New Century, The Christmas Thieves. Starring Spencer Lieb as Captain Ambrosius Baltus and the Nag. Alexander Shaw as Merlane, Robin of Loxley, Ian, Jacobite Marlowe, and the Ghost of Christmas Present. Theo Lee as Freda and Princess Gwendolyn. Maureen Foley as the Ghost of Christmas Past and Holly. Sharon Shaw as Mara and Mortimer Wilson. Loretta Saylor as the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Viola Hartstone and Emmeline Baltus. Matt Wardle as Oberon and Captain Magnus. Matt Ramsey as Clarence. Willow Shaw as Little M. And James Batchelor as the Black Shuck. Overture, Dirge for M, and Ghostly Notions, especially composed for the Christmas Thieves by Gilhaim Steinberg. The Warmth of Winter, composed by Ross Bugden. Preparing for Santa by Fesslian Studios. Soft Mischief by Our Music Box. All other music arranged by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. All artwork by Antonio Torreson. The New Century Multiverse will continue with Panther Soul.